Good to see you. God bless you. So, uh, you know that um, God created Adam and Eve and in the garden, and Adam goes back to God, and he says, God, I, I got a couple of questions for you. So beautiful. And God said, so that you would love her. And Adam says, God, you know, why is it, how is it that you made her so tender? And God said, so that you would love her. And then Adam said, God, you know, she's a little slow. She's a little dense. She didn't seem to be real smart. Why did you make her that way? And God said, so that she would love you. <laughs> All right, let me pray. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just get in the Word. This is kind of be, this is going to be a weird kind of a Sunday morning for us. And, and the scripture that I'm using, I'm actually talking about marriage this morning, but I'm backing into it a little bit different way. And you're going to wonder, why in the world am I using the scriptures that I'm using? But hopefully at the end, it'll make a little bit of sense. But uh, join me, please, if you would. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. God, we just want to say that we love you. Thank you for the time that we've spent in worship this morning. And Lord, we just ask you, God, as we come into your presence, Lord, that you would purify our hearts and our minds and captivate our hearts this morning and our minds, God, that we would not be thinking about what we're doing an hour from now or two hours from now. But Lord, we want to give you this time. We want to devote our hearts and our minds, and we want to love you with all of our our, our heart and our mind and our soul this morning. So Lord, we ask that, uh, Lord, that you would search us. David said, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me, if there's any sin in me. And Lord, today we just say, uh, Holy Spirit, search our hearts and we ask that you would forgive us our sins and our trespasses and our iniquities. Your word says that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins, not part of our sins, not the ones that you just want to, but your word said you will forgive us all of our sins, no matter how bad they are, no matter how deep and dark they are, your word said you will forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And Lord, we just stand before the throne of grace this morning, just receiving that cleansing, just washing us in the blood of Jesus this morning. We thank you in his name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. So I'm going to start. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Uh, I've always found a, a real fondness in my heart for, um, you know, for this story uh, every time. You know, you, you, you know, if you're like me, you read the Word of God, and then all of a sudden, you know, you read it, you know, one, two, three, four, five, ten times, and, you know, it's just like every time you can kind of get something new out of it. So um, this is a, a story. We're in Second Samuel chapter 10. And I love the way that it begins, but if you really need to, you know, we, we know that David, God calls him a man after his own heart. But if you back up one chapter into 2 Samuel chapter 9, both of these chapters start out almost the same way. That David just wakes up in the morning and he says, is there somebody that I can show kindness to? You'll see that in the first part of chapter uh, 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And then we see it again here in 2 Samuel chapter 10, that this was the heart of David. That's why I believe that God calls him a man after his own heart. You know, he wakes up, and part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance and kindness. All of these things are part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. David was a man that uh, demonstrated the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we pick up in verse 1, it says, King Nahash of Ammon died... 
and his son Hanun became king. And David said, Nahash was kind to me, and I will be kind to his son. So he sent some officials to the country of Ammon to tell Hanun how sorry he was that his father had died. But Hanun's officials told him, do you really believe that David is honoring your father by sending these people to comfort you? He probably sent them to spy out our city so he can come and destroy it. And Hanun arrested David's officials and had their beards shaved off on one side of their face and had their robes cut off just below the waist. Some of your translations will say buttocks. Uh, you'll remember Forrest Gump. And then he sent them away. And uh, they were terribly ashamed. So they're, you know, they're, they're coming to express sympathy. Uh, the king, uh, you know, because of his officials, says, hey, they're not really coming. They're coming to check out the land. They're going to come and invade the land, and we're going to teach them a lesson. We're going to shave off half of their beard. We're going to cut, you know, their skirts off so that their buttocks are showing. And uh, these guys were humiliated, and they went their way. And pick up, picking up in verse 5, it says they were terribly ashamed. And when David found out what had happened to his officials, he sent a message and told them, stay in Jericho. This was just outside of Jerusalem. And he said, stay in Jericho until your beards grow back, and then you can come home. And then the Ammonites realized that they had made David very angry, so they hired more foreign soldiers. So you've got one king that realizes that you know, he's in trouble, and so what he decides to do is, and this was very common in those days, you'd go to a king of another nation and hire them to come help you fight and uh, become a conqueror. It says, um, and so they hired uh, 20,000 soldiers, foot soldiers, from the uh, Arameans, uh, from the city of Beth Rahab, from Anzoba, 1,000 from the king of Makkah, and 12,000 from the region of Tob. And David heard what is done, and he sent out Joab, Job, Joab with all of his well-trained soldiers. And the Ammonite troops came out and got ready to fight in front of the gates of their city. And the Arameans said from Zoab and Rehob, the soldiers of Tob and Makkah, formed a separate group nearby, in the nearby field. And Joab saw that he had a fight in front of him, and behind him at the same time. This is kind of important. I'm going to come back to this in a moment. There's a fight in front of him and a fight behind him at the same time. The Bible says that God will be your, your front guard. He will also be your rear guard. He can watch over what, whatever's going on in your life right now, whatever's going on in your life this morning in front of you for you know, today and tomorrow or behind you yesterday. You know, God can take care of any problem that you have. And so he says that he put his brother Abishai in command of the rest of the army and had them fight the Ammonites. And Joab told his brother, if the Arameans are too strong for me or too much for me to handle, you come and help me. This is important. Listen to this, guys. And if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll come and help you. Be brave and fight hard. Protect our, our people, the cities of our God. And I pray that the Lord will do whatever pleases him. And Joab and his soldiers attacked the Arameans. And the Arameans ran from them. And when the Ammonites saw that the Aramean soldiers had run away, they ran away from Abishai's shoulders as well and went back to their own city. And David brought Israel's whole army together. They crossed the Jordan River and went to uh, Helam, where the Arameans were ready to meet him. And the Arameans attacked, but they ran from Israel. 
And David killed 700 chariot drivers and 40,000 cavalry or soldiers that day. Uh, I want you to just think about this. You know, we've got a war that broke out. We have 40,000 soldiers that have been then killed. We have 700 chariot drivers that have been killed because one man decided to shave the beard. This is all over the shaving of a beard and cutting off the skirt of these ambassadors that David sent to show kindness. You got, how many of you have ever heard this uh, expression that says, no good deed will go unpunished? Anybody ever hear that expression? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. This is absolutely insane. So I started looking at other things that wars have been fought over and to show you how ridiculous some of these are. In A.D. 532, uh, Emperor Justinian uh, had chariot races in the city. And in that city, in 532, there were two men, there were two, there, there were rival gangs, they called the Blue Gang and the Green Gang, but one from, each member from the gang was arrested and was getting ready to be put to death, and a riot broke out, okay? And in that city, in a few short days, at the end of the riot, 30,000 people lay dead in the streets because of a riot over chariot races and arresting two other people. The other is called the Stray Dog War. Uh, this uh, stray dog triggered an international crisis. Uh, it was in Greece and Bulgaria. Um, this was in 1910. Tensions had boiled over. Greek soldier, a Greek soldier was shot after he crossed the border to get a dog. His stray dog, his dog went across the border. He goes to get his dog. Uh, he's shot by the opposing side, and war breaks out. Thousands of people are killed because of a stray dog crossing a, uh, a border. And then here's one called the Pastry War. This happened in Mexico City in 1828. An angry mob destroyed a large part of Mexico City. There was a Frenchman in the city that had a pastry shop, and because of the riots, he claimed that he had 600,000 dollars or pesos uh, destruction to his pastry shop. Uh, the Mexican officials refused to pay him back. Somehow the uh, word gets back to King Louis Philippe. Uh, he was uh, a king of France and um, he was already upset with Mexico because of failed loans that had not been paid and so he sends over ships and battles uh, over 250 soldiers were killed before the world was finally stopped and settled by the British who came in. 250 men died because someone has got a claim that their pastry shop has been messed with. I, I mean, these are absolutely ridiculous reasons to fight a war. And then here's a great one right here called the Oak Bucket War. This happened in uh, Italy. And there were two rival cities. There was a common well between the two cities. And uh, there was an oak bucket at the well that anyone could use. Well, one of the neighboring cities decides that he's going to steal the bucket and took the bucket away from the well. All war broke out. And I think it says that uh, 300 or 30,000 troops were routed. Uh, thousands died. Uh, and uh, the uh, bucket was finally returned to the well. And then here's one, the soccer match, 1969. Yeah, El Salvador and Honduras. Uh, they had been bickering, and so they had a soccer match. The teams had tied two to two. 
uh, each team had won a game and they were going to have a final playoff game. Um, but in the, uh, in the, uh, the final outcome, uh, El Salvador declared war on Honduras. The war lasted for five days, racking up thousands of casualties. Now, now, we talk about this today and it sounds like this is absolutely ridiculous. Why would people fight over things like that? But the Bible tells us that life is a battle. Every day that you and I, we wake up and we are going to be facing some kind of battle. You're going to face a battle in, in life, at your work, with your employee, employer. Uh, sometimes we have health battles. Uh, we have battles with uh, with our children, we have you know ongoing wars. We, I mean, these just these little conflicts, and the way that we deal with them. That's what I want to really talk about this morning. The way that we deal with them will de determine you know sometimes the rest of our life. Some of these people were scarred forever because of some silly decision that someone made, and sometimes you and I make those stupid decisions as well. But I want you to know that the Bible is full of illustrations about people being under attack. We begin in the book of Genesis, and you know that Joseph's brothers, the Bible says that Joseph's brothers were envious of him, and they sold him into slavery. Uh, his 11 brothers, you know, despised him. They were envious and jealous of him. They sell him into slavery. So he's got an ongoing battle there. David, you remember, when he went up to fight Goliath, the giant, his brothers attacked him and accused him of coming in, you know, just because you want to watch the battle, not knowing that the hand of God was upon David and that God was getting ready to bring a great revival to Israel. And his brothers didn't know that. They accused him of just wanting to come and check out the battle lines. And um, Elijah, Elijah was attacked by, by the government. King Ahab attacked him. You'll remember that Elijah had called for a drought on the land because of the great sin of the nation of Israel. And, um, and uh, Abraham, or Ahab finds Elijah and he says, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? You brought all of these problems on Israel. And uh, Elijah said, no, I'm not the one that's brought that on. You and your ungodly ways, your sinful ways, your ungodly ideas, your, your living contrary to the word of God has brought all of this disaster on Israel. Nonetheless, um, Ahab wanted to kill Elijah. And then we see in the New Testament, King Herod uh, taking off the head of John the Baptist, the re other religious leaders, Paul and Silas being attacked uh, because of those in commerce department, those that were uh, in uh, selling the, shri uh, the, the shrine or, or the uh, idols of the, uh, uh, the goddess Diana, and uh, they felt like their, their, not only their religion, but their income was under attack. But uh, all of these, the Bible is full of you know, men and women that are under attack. The Bible says that it is with uh, many tribulations that you and I will enter into many tribulations and difficulties that we will enter into the kingdom of God. And so um, I, I want to just kind of narrow it down. Obviously, we're not fighting the Arameans or the Am uh, Ammonites this morning, but sometimes those battles come a little bit closer to home, and we have, you know, conflict in our home, and uh, sometimes that conflict leads to divorce. And there's all kind of people out there, you know, spouting and their opinions about, you know, how to live your life and how to live a marriage. Um, and I want to just show you some very short-lived marriages from Hollywood. These are the ones that are always full of advice for you and I how to live our personal lives. Britney Spears and Jason 
Alexander. I think this might go down as the shortest one. They were married for 55 hours, okay? Carmen Electric, uh, or Electra and Dennis Rodman, nine days they were married. Cher and Greg Allman married for nine days. Ali, Landra, uh, Ali Landry and Mario Lopez, 18 days. Ethel Merman and er Ernest Bordenine, 32 days. Now, they had a history. Merman had uh, uh, been married and divorced four times and Bordenine five times. Drew Barrymore and Jeremy Thomas, 39 days. Pamela Anderson and Rick uh, Sa uh, Solomon, 60 days. And here's a great one right here. You guys will all remember this. Kim, Kardashi Kim Kardashian and Chris Humphreys. 72 days, the wedding cost $10 million. 72 days for $10 million. So when you look at this, and this is what you know, theologians and psychologists say, what causes battles? What causes the conflict in the home? Let me just kind of, I'm going to read you through this list kind of, quickly. Number one. Number one reason is it's not infidelity. It used to be. Infidelity used to be right at the top of the list. Right now it's money. Money is the number one cause of divorce and separation in the home. Money fights uh, about couples. This uh, comment here uh, says it's rarely about money. So if you want to minimize uh, a currency con uh, conflict, trace it back to the fears that are fueling it. Instead of over fighting over the amount of money that was spent on who knows what, shifts the focus to what really matters. Listen to these four uh, real reasons that money is a conflict in the home. Your fear of not having influence in the most important issues impacting your life. Your fear of not having security of your future. Your fear of having no respect shown for your values. You didn't have, to, you didn't have any input on how the money was spent. And uh, your fear of not realizing your dreams. Second, Number uh, uh, top five is sex. Um, to keep the sex grievance down and marital bed springs bouncing, this writer says, we recommend focusing on solving coordination, coordination failures. It's common, it's, it's a common problem in marriage. The number one reason people report not having sex in their marriage is that they're too tired, followed by closely not in the mood. Most of the time, that's a code or code word for knowingly or not for mismatched sex drives. And so the issue is, in, in every one of these things, guys, every one of these reasons, you have to learn how to talk. And, and most people would rather sleep in the car all by themselves in a single seat than talk about sex and their relationship. But they're, while they're, I'm telling you, while they're difficult issues, You've got to talk about it. These are things that you have to talk about. Money and sex. The third uh, item on the list was work. That uh, we all know, and if you've been in church long enough, you've heard someone say that you need time alone together one day a week. You need a date night or time, to, uh, time, to spend, to, time spent together. But on the average, here's uh, how often marriage people between 25 and, 20, uh, 25 and 50 with two or more children have a date night. Once a week, 4%. Once a month, 21. This is married people with children, with two children in the age, not the children, but the married couple, ages 25 to 50, how often they have a date night. Uh, 4% one, once a week. Once a month, 21%. 
once every two to three months, 21%, once every four to six months, 18%, and once every seven months, less or less often, 36%. The National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia recently released a report titled Date Night Opportunity. It says the study found that husbands and wives who set aside a deliberate time to connect and have fun at least once a week were approximately three and a half times more likely to report being very happy in the relationship. The next item on the list is children. How to raise the children, how to discipline the children. Again, it all goes back, you know, one of the, one of the parents might be more of a, uh, a disciplinarian. Uh, the other one might be, you know, good cop, bad cop. Uh, we, you know, all, all families, I think we all have experienced that on, in our house, houses, our homes. You know, what we think should be done you know, again, it comes back to communication. You've got to be able to talk about these things. Don't let this thing implode and become, you know, a huge war in your home. So uh, the Bible says that, that uh, there, there are going to be disagreements. There are going to be disagreements in our home. There are going to be problems in our home. The issue is, the question is, how you and I can deal with, with these issues. And let me just kind of tell you where we're going. I'm going to share this word with you this morning. And then I just feel like, you know, God has said that, you know, we want to pray for family. So I'm going to ask our prayer ministers in a moment to come up and, and we want to pray. I mean, you know, you may be, you know, in a, in a divorce, in a divorce situation, single parent, raising children. You may be in a marriage right now and your marriage may be fine. You want God's continued blessing in your family. You may be in a, in a marriage right now that's just kind of you know, has hit the rocks, and, uh, you know, it, you've, you've got, you know, you're in a, in a rocky place right now. You want to ask God to just kind of bless this marriage and break these things off of you, because I'm going to tell you that the number one thing that the enemy wants to do, you guys have heard me say this before, you know, that we serve a God that is, I mean, he is the creator of everything, including Satan himself. So we've got a God that loves you, and we've got an enemy called Satan, the devil, the serpent, that hates you. He is not stronger than God, and the only way that he can get to God is to try to get to you. And, the, and there's nothing that delights the enemy anymore than breaking God's heart because of what you're going through. And God says in the book of Job, the, the Satan came against, the, the, came against this servant Job and tried to attack him. And then Satan goes back to, to God and said, you know what, I, I, I want to get to this guy and if I can get to him, I promise you, he will curse you to your face. And, and Satan says to God, he says, the problem is, the problem is that I can't get to him because you, God, have placed a hedge of protection around all that Job has, around him, his wife, his children, everything that he owns. He said, but if you will tear that hedge down, he said, I will get to him and I promise you, that he will curse you to your face. Well, God allowed the hedge to come down, but God knowing his servant Job, Job never, never spoke evil against God at all. I'm telling you that God wants to keep that hedge of protection about you. But there are things that you and I do, and sometimes intentionally and sometimes not intentionally, that we take that hedge down. And when that hedge comes down, then we allow the enemy to come into our lives and, and bring havoc into our lives, into our marriage, with our children, with our finances, with our work. And it just seems like all hell breaks loose in our life. 
And today, I just want to say that I believe that some of your walls are down and God is saying, let's, let's, let's raise the wall again. Let's get that wall back up so that the enemy cannot penetrate your life. And that's how I want to pray for you in just a moment. Is that okay? Is that going to be okay with you guys? All right. Well, I don't, you know, I don't care if it's okay or not. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you guys. I'm going to pray for you guys. So, you know, somebody had said, I think it was... Uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, I think it was Jimmy Davis, uh, you know, he said that there's, there's a picture of a, a beautiful marriage that's like heaven, and everybody's sitting at the banquet table in heaven. At the, this would be you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and everybody's sitting there, and everybody's just loving one another and enjoying one another and, you know, just being blessed. I mean, great food, great fellowship, God and the people, and everything is there. And then there's another picture of marriage where, you know, men and women are sitting at a table and their utensils are so long, their knives are so long, their forks are so long that by the time they scoop up the food, they cannot get it to their mouth. And right across from them is someone else that's starving. But rather than serve the person across the table from them, they would all starve to death rather than serving one another. And God is telling you, if you want your marriage to work, if you want a good marriage to work, if you want your marriage to be blessed and to work, God's calling you and I to serve one another. And if you want your wife, guys, if you want your wife to be a thoroughbred, you treat her like a thoroughbred, she will never be a nag. I'm telling you, you treat her like a thoroughbred. All right, so let me just keep going here. Some of the Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason, and every reason? And Jesus says, Haven't you read? He doesn't Notice he doesn't answer the question. He just takes them back to what the Word of God says. Haven't you read? He says that in the beginning, the Creator, God made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And we get that. He's quoting from Genesis. And in Genesis, it says, it says that a man should leave his mother and father and cleave. And so there's kind of a, a tearing apart, not that you hate men, that you would hate your mother and father, but you, you are leaving them, and you're cleaving. It's a binding. It's a gluing together of you and your wife, starting this new family together. And this is what God wants us to do, to leave and to, to cleave to one another, to, to bind this marriage together. And then we read, uh, this is from uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, Husbands, give honor to your wives, and treat your wives with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, just speaking about physically. I mean, she, the, the women typically are, are made, just the physical makeup, are weaker. That's why we send men to war. Uh, she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner. Hear that? You're equal, equal. She's not below you, not below you. You're not above her or below her. You are equal partners in God's gift of new life. Treat her, listen to this, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. You know, the Bible says, and very clearly so, 
that if you're at tension, if you're arguing, if there's conflict in your home, it hinders your prayers. None of us want our prayers to be hindered. We want our prayers answered, and typically we want them answered right now. So the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, because when you do, the Bible says that you give a foothold to the devil. That means you've torn the wall down, you've torn the wall down, and here he comes. He's invading your marriage. He's invading your life, invading your family, and the, the ramifications of that is just everywhere. You know, you guys, and I've used this illustration before, it's stupid, but if you've ever been to Chuck E. Cheese, they got a little game there called Whack-A-Mole. Anybody ever play Whack-A-Mole with your kids? All right. You know, I mean, here's the deal. You, I mean, it's just this little mole pops up and you hit it with a hammer. Well, as soon as you hit it with a hammer, it goes down, but over here, another one pops up. And that's the way that life is. As soon as you get one problem conquered in life, no matter what it might be, then you wake up the next day to face another problem. And, you know, life is a battle. And the way that you and I deal with these battles, the way that you and I handle this, I mean, we can do it, you know, with anger and frustration and just strife. And, I mean, there's so much tension in the house. You could cut it with a knife. And God's saying, you know what, you know, righteousness and peace and joy. And, you know, he says that when the storm came, and that little boat was just being bounced all over the Sea of Galilee, and they thought that they were going to die, and, and they're just crying out, Lord, don't you even care? Don't you care? Don't you see what's going on with us? We're about to lose our life. And the Lord said, peace, be still. And it says that the waves became calm. And some of you need peace, be still in your hearts right now. You need peace, be still in your house right now. You need peace, be still with your children, with your employer, with your employees, with your husband and your wife. You need peace. Be still. Let's talk about this. Let's work on this. Let's deal with this. You know, it's just so easy today to look around and say, you know what, I've got big problems. i got big problems. You know, maybe I should get a newer model. You know, this thing is broken down. You know, I'm telling you that I've had a lot of experience with this the last month or so. The dash light, the engine dash light on my car keeps coming on. And I keep taking it to the garage. And the garage keeps telling me that it's fixed. And I keep bringing it home. And as soon as I get it home, it won't start. And so then I take it back to the garage. And the garage says it's fixed. Now, this has happened three times. And I think that I've got it fixed. But I remember when I was a kid, my parents, I mean, we grew up pretty, pretty poor. I mean, we were not pretty poor. We were... We were so poor, the guy said we couldn't pay attention. So, uh, but, you know, we were, we were poor, and I remember when I got out of high school, my mom bought the family a brand-new car. She took on a second job so she could buy a brand-new car. And I remember her letting me drive the brand-new car. Well, I'm driving the car, and I, was, I just got, this is, I was out of high school, actually in the military at this time, and I was driving back to uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, getting ready to move my stuff back to Houston. And it, brand new, I think it was a, like a 69 GTO. That was the car. I mean, that was the car back then in the day. All right. And so I'm driving back from North Carolina, coming back to Houston. 
and the oil engine light comes on. And I thought, oh, wait, it's a brand new car. I mean, it probably didn't have 3,000 miles on it. Brand new car. I thought, eh, it's just a, it's a little defect. I'll check it. I'll take it to the shop when I got back. And so, man, the light gets on, and then I start hearing a little knock in the engine, and I thought, what the heck? And so I pulled over. The oil plug had come out of the oil pan. I'm driving the car without any oil. And so we stopped, got another oil plug, put it back in. I got, I don't know, about 30 miles from, uh, from Houston, the entire engine blew. I mean, it, I'm, I'm out on the interstate, the engine's gone, it's shot, I'm calling a tow truck. Now, fortunately, it was covered by the warranty. Probably shouldn't have been, it was my fault. But guys, I'm gonna tell you that the check engine light is on on some of your marriages right now. And it's gonna take maintenance. And it takes maintenance, you have to work on this thing. It doesn't just happen. Good marriages just don't happen. Good marriages are made up of two people that quickly know how to say, I'm sorry or forgive me. Now, I know that I'm, some of you are starting, I can, man, I can feel the mood just whoa, 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 whoa. Because, man, I've already been there, done that, and blown it, and got, there's just no help. There's no hope for me today. I'm going to tell you that there is hope for you today because the God that we serve is a God of restoration, and that means that he puts back things together the way that they once were. All right, let me move on. Let me move on. So, you know, one of the things that, that you and I, you know, need both in, in relationships. We need, all of us need affirmation. You know, we're do, you're doing a good job. You're not doing a good job. You know, what, what can I do to do a better job? We're like the guy and his wife. They went to, to the pastor for uh, marriage counseling. And, and after the listening for a while, you know, the pastor's just like, you know, he's just like, you know what, I, I can say, this is clear. It's obvious. You know, so he gets up goes over to the lady, and she's just kind of beaten up, and, you know, and the husband's there, and, and uh, he asks her to stand up, and he just puts her arm, his arms around her and just gives her a good hug. And, you know, he says, I'm telling you, dude, he said, I'm telling you, she, this is what she needs. She needs this every day. She needs this. And the guy just got this frown on his face, and he said, well, would you be available tomorrow? <laughs> See, I mean, guys, we're so stupid. We don't get it. We, we don't get it. You know, they, our wives need affirmation. They need love. They need a conversation. They need communication, and we are not good at that. You know what we're really good at? Uh, pass the remote. Uh, what's for dinner? You know, we got these, like, two- and three-word uh, sentences that we're real good at. So let me just kind of wrap this up. You know, one of the scriptures that, uh, that old school from Ephesians 5, and you guys have heard this, and I've heard men beat their wives with this scripture. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's like that's all they know. You're supposed to submit to me. You submit to me. You're supposed to submit to me. But listen, that's not all of the scripture. It says right after that, if you want your wife to submit to you, it says, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. How did Jesus love the church? 
it says, you see, this is from Romans, Romans chapter 5. It said, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But listen to this. God demonstrated his love. This is the way that you and I are supposed to love our wives, guys. God demonstrated his love to us. And while we were yet sinners, we were not friends with God. We were not God's buddy. God didn't look down and said, oh, yeah, there goes a couple of guys. Man, I really like them. They're really good. You know, he didn't say that. He says that God looked down and he said he saw that everyone was sinners. And God demonstrated in his, his love toward us. And while we were enemies of God and we were sinners, that he died. He died for all of us. And he says that that's the way that you and I, men, are supposed to love our wives. You know, that's exactly the way, just the way. Husband, love your wives just the way that Christ loved the church. And then the verse before that in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, not just wives submit yourselves to your husband, but it says husbands and wives submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Jesus Christ came on a mission to this earth. He came on a mission to this land, and that was to seek and save those that were lost, those that are broken, those that are, you know, he said he didn't come to save the, the whole or the healthy. He came for the sick and for the sinners. And, you know, when we read um, um, uh, this story in John chapter 4 about the woman at the well, the, Jesus says to her about her relationship, and he's talking about living water. And he says to her, he says, you know, um, if you knew what I had to offer you, this living water to drink, you would ask me for a drink of this water. And he said, I would give it to you. And, um, you know, and then she says, she starts talking about her husband. And, and Jesus says, you know, I know that you've had five husbands. And the husband that you have right now, the man that you have right now is not your husband. You're, you're living with this man. He says that I know. And in this, this just, he just, this is just, Jesus in this situation, okay, talking to this woman. He said, I know that you've tried to find satisfaction in life by going from relationship to relationship to relationship. And he says, you're never going to find it. You're not going to find satisfaction in life by bouncing from relationship to relationship. You're going to find satisfaction in life when you drink from this wellspring of living water because only I can satisfy that deep longing need in your life and he says that I want to do it he says I, I, I that's what I want to do and the Bible says in in a revelation and this is going to be my last scripture I believe it says the spirit and the bride said come let anyone who hears this say come let anyone who is thirsty thirsty for life not thirsty for the things that this world can offer you but anyone that is thirsty for this life-giving this life-giving satisfaction living water that only Jesus can give. says, let anyone who is thirsty come and drink from the water of life freely. That's what the Lord wants to do. So in talking about this today, you know, number one, there's got to be, you've got to have communication in your life. You've got to be willing to forgive. You've got to be uh, quick to forgive. You know, the, there's a scripture, I think it's in Ephesians, that says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. We've got to be quick 
to forgive one another, not holding grudges, not leaving the door open for the enemy. So I'm going to ask our, our prayer ministry team, if you guys will come up, if you'll get some oil. And what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, if you would, too, as well. And, and just, if you guys just, I, I need about five more minutes of your time, okay? I need five more minutes of your time. Please bear with me. Now, you know, it, it seems like a lot of the focus has been on marriages today. But I want to tell you that if you're, you, you, if you're, if you're ever divorced and, you know, have, probably half of the people in this room have been either divorced or, or divorced right now. And I'm going to tell you that God is not leaving anybody out. He understands you still have family. You still have family. You still have children. You still have, you know, the, the whole spectrum of marriage, and yet there's only one uh, parent in the home. And God's saying, I'm looking upon you. He says, I will not neglect the cry of the afflicted. He says, I'm not passing you by. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we get in situations because of stupid things that we've done, and sometimes we're the victims. Sometimes, you know, it's just like life has happened, and it's happened in a bad way to us, and here we are, we're just reeling from the effects of something that somebody else has done to us. And God's saying, I'm not going to overpass you. I'm not going to pass you by. I will look at you. I will look at you. I will bring healing and joy and gladness. I can restore joy and gladness in your home right now. He said, I can restore the joy and gladness in your home if you're willing. Because God is a God of restoration, and that's what he wants to do. So I want to ask you to just, you know, while, while you're waiting to get prayed for, we've got a number of prayer ministers up here. But I want to just ask you, you guys get up. I'm, I want you to come by family. I don't want you, I mean, you know, husbands and wives, I want you to come. If you are single, um, mom or dad raising children, I want you to bring your family. Because we want to speak a blessing over you. We want to break the power that the enemy is trying to come against you and divide your family even further and give you, breathe life back into your family again. There needs to be a restoration of righteousness and peace and joy. Some of you have lost your joy. You don't know where. I mean, it's uh, something happened a long time ago and joy was left back in, in the uh, collateral damage of things that have gone on in your life. Joy was left back there. God's saying, I'm going to pick up joy and I'm going to put joy back in your heart today so that you can move forward. I'm going to ask you to get up. Come on. Come on. Get up. Go pray with somebody. And we're going to worship the rest of you that are just sitting there. I want you, if you don't need prayer this morning, I want you to be praying for this body of believers that are asking for help today. And uh, we're going to worship the Lord. You guys good? Okay. So we got oil. Come on. Come up. But family by family. Come on. We want to pray for you.
There's no heart unseen. There's no space between you and I. You and I. And you are closer than the very oxygen.
All right, guys, I want to go ahead and release those of you that need to leave. If you want to stand up, I'll speak a blessing over you. If you did not get prayer yet, just hang back. We'll stay here until the last person gets prayer. So, you know, one of our, our favorite scriptures, at least it's mine. I don't know if it's yours or not. Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I just feel like shouting unto God because we serve such a great God. We serve an awesome God. Father, we bless you. And uh, your word even says, let the trees of the fields clap their hands, Lord God. So, Father, we go out with shouts of joy. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the good things that you're doing to your people. God, we speak a blessing over everyone that's here, everyone that got prayer, everyone that didn't receive prayer. Father, we say bless your people that you may be glorified, that you may be high and lifted up. So, Lord, as we go out, let us go out with songs of praise, with songs of joy, Father. Uh, just exalting and lifting our hands to heaven, God, because we serve an awesome God. What a mighty God we serve. Father, we bless you in the name of your sons, Jesus. And God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.